This week, across the country, communities are facing catastrophic fire conditions. Experts say that we are seeing fire seasons that are coming earlier, are fiercer and lasting longer than ever, and point to climate change as the reason for this. Surprisingly, the health system is one of our biggest carbon emitters, and joining me to discuss what hospitals can do to tackle waste is Kate Charlesworth, Public Health Physician and the Sustainability Lead at South Eastern Sydney Local Health District. Your health district's launched its environmental sustainability plan earlier this year. Mm. Um, so who pushed for this and, um, you know, how did it come about? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we have quite a progressive and sort of forward-thinking executive and they're recognising climate risk. As, to be honest, a lot of, you know, a lot of organisations are and, you know, a lot of the private sector is, but they're recognising climate risk and the responsibility and the opportunity that we have to act. Uh, and so I guess that was sort of thus my appointment. The really interesting thing that, about this job is, that, I mean, a number of health organisations across the country have a sustainability lead or a manager, but this is the first time, as far as we know, that a physician, so my background, my background is medical, mm-hmm. that a physician has been appointed to a dedicated sustainability role. Yep. So it really signals that our executive understands that this sustainable healthcare is about much more than sort of recycling and energy efficiency. You know, it's actually about how we develop a health and care system for an, for an imminent, you know, increasingly imminent low-carbon world. But, mm. I mean, a lot of healthcare organisations are doing this. Um, we are looking around. I look to the private sector as to what they're doing a lot as well um, because they have some good ideas and some good precedents there. So, so I mean, did they seek – so that it makes total sense to me um, that they would try and get a physician or, you know, a medical practitioner in because you, you would have obviously, obviously a unique insight into – the ways hospital work and and then with your environmental knowledge you can marry the two did um did they actively seek out someone with your kind of dual abilities yeah i mean i guess so. i mean it was the it was a you know the, the normal process and they, they i think they wanted someone with that sort of broader perspective mm-hmm. so i'm a public health doctor so i'm a doctor but then i specialize in public health medicine mm-hmm. so we typically do the bigger picture health issues you know we look at vaccinations and measles outbreaks and obesity and that sort of thing so not just individual patients but bigger picture stuff yeah and of course climate change is the biggest health <laughs> issue of them all yeah so that's sort of my and that's you know, I had some experience in the UK, which is well ahead of us, and I've got a PhD in this area as well. So, mm-hmm. um, it's you know, it, it was a great opportunity for me. Um, but you know, it, it is encouraging that the health sector is now starting to look a bit more broadly at this as well, because that's increasingly what we need. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say, you know, every there's overwhelming scientific evidence that we need to rapidly decarbonise, and every sector is going to have to do that. You know, education and transport and housing, and whatever. And in the health sector, we have a particular responsibility to act because, of course, we are seeing, you know, even in our district, the health impacts, really distressing health impacts on our patients and on our communities. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't appreciate is that the health sector itself is currently a big contributor to the climate crisis. So we are, in fact, you know, we are part of the problem which is causing, you know, which is harming human health. So we have that responsibility to act. But we also, of course, are climate risk because we have a big carbon footprint and you know the world is heading towards low carbon economy so there's like this double sort of responsibility and opportunity for you know for the health sector in particular to act so i think that's you know that's what what makes this sort of unique for our sector mm-hmm. well that's what i kind of it struck me a bit when i was you know doing a lit my small bit of research before we talked was i didn't realize yeah. how big um a carbon emitter the health system was so it is kind of that circle of life um yeah you know, the health so system is contributing to the, the the poor health of of a nation and fixing it at the same time it's kind of a weird thing that's going on yeah it is so the, i mean it started out this is a little story from um in california so in the 1990s a group of clinicians at a pediatric unit in california began to recognize and this was based on epa data that was coming out that dioxins dioxins are a potent carcinogen they cause cancer so dioxins from medical waste incineration because 
course, we incinerate a lot of our medical waste. Those dioxins were causing children to be sick, and a lot of those children were then presenting to their hospital. So there was this awful irony in that, exactly as you say, the system which is supposed to be protecting and looking after children was actually a major cause of paediatric disease. Mm. Um, so they were, you know, they were making their own patients. And that is, you know, that was the start of Healthcare Without Harm, which is now a global organisation. But exactly as you say, you know, we're essentially doing the same thing on a, on, a, on a much bigger scale. You know, we're a big contributor to the climate crisis, which is harming human health. So we're sort of, you know, on that scale, making our own patients. Yeah. And the, the paper to which you alluded, so the Malik paper, so this is a big piece of research in, um, that came out last year. It was published in the Lancet Planetary Health, and Lancet's one of the you know, leading medical journals in the world. And it showed that our carbon footprint is 7% of our national emissions. That's the same as the total emissions of the state of South Australia. You know? So it's very good research, which just shows what sort of an impact we're having. But also on the flip side, what an opportunity that we have you know, to really get our own house in order and to and be leading in that in space. And we talk a lot of, now about you know, the, the co-benefits, and that is what's good for health is good for the environment you know, as an opportunity. So good examples of that are you know, walking and cycling rather than driving cars. Good for health, good for the environment. Eating more plant-based foods, good for health, good for the environment. Renewable energy, good for health, good for the environment. So there's lots of these sort of win-win situations. Um, and indeed, the international experience suggests actually a win-win-win situation. We can save money doing this as well. And I did a lot of my training in the UK. I don't know they have a, um, if you know, but 10 years ago when I was there, they set up a national unit which was tasked with reducing the carbon emissions of the NHS, so that's National Health Service. Um, and they've, over the past decade, they've reduced their carbon emissions by nearly 20%, despite an increase in healthcare activity. And they've saved nearly a billion pounds. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly that's something that gets the attention of, you know, of the executive and our healthcare leaders. You know, this is, is a really, it's a win-win-win situation mm -hmm. um, in health particularly. So let's talk uh, about specifically your area, um, your health district, this, in, mm. this sustainability plan. Um, how's mm -hmm. it going? Uh, what does it entail? So we developed this plan really in close consultation with our staff, which was a really important thing. Um, and there's 10 areas under that. And we've used the SDAT, which is Sustainable Development Assessment Tool, which is what they use in the NHS. And I think we're the first organisation in Australia to do that. Um, look, we've measured our carbon footprint, which I don't think many organisations in Australia have done. And we've developed our plan. And we have a lot of really keen staff. You know, I've, got, I've personally run small group sessions with nearly 1,000 of our staff. That's nearly 10% of our workforce. So there's, there's that happening. And there's great little pockets of practice going on. What we really ne now need to do is think about actual implementation and the really sort of broad changes that we can make you know, at, at a strategic level to do that. And I think that's the sort of thing that we're, that, that we're grappling with at the moment. Um, we're looking at, you know, so we're about probably about a third overall of our carbon footprint is energy. So we're, we're currently doing a sort of a business case looking at our energy. We're working with health infrastructure. So health infrastructure in New South Wales is the, the body, sorry, yeah, that um, does, builds all the buildings. So they do all the capital work. So we're working with them. We're trying to work with health share on procurement. You know, there's a bunch of things going on, but it's, you know, our plan was, only a few months we're only a few months in so there's clearly a long way to go mm -hmm. what are the biggest wastes in hospitals you say energy consumption um i'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of you know uh, disposable gloves um, other things like that yeah. that don't get re recycled what are the biggest wastes and what are them areas that you it, think are easiest to tackle exactly well you're exactly right. i mean energy's big and that's what people think of first but actually i mean a global carbon footprint was published very just recently actually in the last month or two by healthcare that harm and they found that 70% of the global footprint is procurement. So exactly as you say, it's all the stuff that we buy and use. 
And the most surprising thing there is pharmaceuticals. So pharmaceuticals are nearly 20% of our carbon footprint. In our whole health system in this country, pharmaceuticals are nearly 20%. So, yeah, it's, it's pharmaceuticals, it's food, it's medical devices, equipment, it's furniture, all of those things that we buy and use um, is a really significant part um, of it. So, you know, clearly pharmaceuticals is a tricky one, but, you know, it's something mm. clearly it's a carbon hotspot. And in the UK, who's been doing this for longer, that's one of their sort of key areas to focus on. Mm. What could um, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, what could they do day-to-day individually on an individual level? What could they do to, to you know, add to the cause? Yeah, well, what I... I think is that we can start to really think, consider this in our clinical decisions. Um, so we know there's a lot of literature now around sort of overdiagnosis and overtreatment. So you know we know that there are significant harms and risks to patients in you know doing ordering too many tests and doing too many procedures. Um, and there's also costs from that, and that's not just financial costs but also carbon costs. So I really think that considering those things um, is important in our clinical decisions. So the blood tests that we order, the procedures that we're doing. Um, that, that's important. I mean, the key thing, of course, is, you know, as, as a system is to keep people well. Um, the Green is someone about, in my PhD, one of the interviewees said, oh, well, the greener system is the system in which people don't get sick in the first place. Um, so we need much, you know, if you look at the health sector overall, we need a much stronger focus, focus on really broad and strong primary and community-based care. If you look at the carbon footprint for our sector, about half of it's hospitals. Um, so everyone's concerned about what we should do in hospitals, but actually in a low-carbon system, we wouldn't have so many hospitals. We'd have much stronger and broader primary and community-based care. Um, we're always going to need some sort of centres of tertiary care. We're always going to need somewhere where you do heart transplants and things. And so our hospitals will have to have you know, renewable energy and sustainable design and procurement and low-carbon models of care and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, we need to think much more broadly and creatively beyond hospitals, I guess. Um, so, doctor, so in day-to-day, I mean, getting their personal carbon footprint in order, looking at waste, um, keeping people well and out of hospital, all of those sort of schemes are really important, considering this in their clinical decisions, um, thinking about procurement and what they're doing. So those are probably the, the key things for clinicians, I guess. On a personal level for you, I know that in the past you've, you've marched at climate protests under the banner Doctors for Climate Action. How does it feel for you as someone who, with this knowledge when um, our local governments, our federal governments, our health systems ignore the science? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think, you know, it's just, it is a tremendous opportunity. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, we, we ought to be taking, you know, there are great opportunities here to improve health and save money and save carbon. And I, you know, I think we really could be taking on these opportunities to do that. And I mean, I, mean, I think for, the interesting thing, I think, is that nurses, are a really key group. I mean, you know the numbers better than I do, but I think there's like something like 400,000 nurses um, in this country and they're all well-educated, they're all well-trained, they're well-organised in professional groups, they work in every setting, you know, they work in hospitals and they work in healthcare centres and aged care facilities and so on. And we really think that nurses could be climate leaders. You know, if nurses stepped up and said, this is, this is a health issue, we're really concerned about this and we're going to be acting on climate action, then that, you know, nurses really could be... Um, climate leaders and a key group. So I think that, you know, health professionals have a real um, responsibility and opportunity to act. And they have so far, you know, in the past on tobacco and asbestos and these other key public health issues. Um, and this is, you know, this is not the issue for our age. It's no question. That's sort of scientific fact. Um, we need to be acting. Was there a moment for you, you mentioned earlier your switch um, to the work you do now. Was there a moment or an in- incident that made you think, I've got to do this and I've got to tackle this at a hospital at a health system level. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to be a physician. I was working 10 years ago and and I know the day. 
um, I was working as a hospital doctor and I happened to go along to the, a university talk on climate and health. And I hadn't really thought much about climate change before that. I really didn't see how it was relevant to my day job on the ward or in the emergency department. And then when I, I went along to this lecture and it was about an hour and they just set out evidence for climate change, what we're on track for, what it would mean for health. And that, for me, that was the penny drop moment for me because I remember sitting there looking at the evidence. And, you know, and health professionals are scientifically trained. In my experience, when you present the evidence to them, you know, and it's very, it's overwhelming now, um, they, they're really concerned. Um, so that was, yeah, that afternoon, that was a penny drop moment for me. And then I, I guess the second thing that happened was that within a few months of that, I moved to London for a job. I was moving anyway. And there's a huge amount happening in Europe and in the UK at that time in climate and health. And this is, you know, 10 years ago. So I really got caught up in that. And I was fortunate to work in a couple of really leading organisations at that time. Um, so that were probably the two things. Mon uh, Monday afternoon um, in April, about 10 years ago, at that lecture. Um, and then, you know, being caught up in, in England, which is, you know, really progressive on this and has made some, some terrific gains. Mm. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you were listening at a Monday lecture. So uh, well done for that. <laughs> yeah, Monday. Yeah. Well, I was, I was working in hospitals. So I could rarely go to those lectures, but, you know, occasionally...